this is Brennan Spiegel, co-editor-in-chief of the American Journal of Gastroenterology. And for this month's podcast, I'm pleased to introduce Dr. Jewel Thamader, who is Senior Associate Consultant at the Mayo Clinic in Phoenix and Associate Professor of Medicine at the Mayo College of Medicine, who is with us today to talk about whether we should start screening for colon cancer at age 45 or at age 50. So, Jewel, thank you for being with us on the podcast today. Thanks, Brandon. So, Jewel, you've written an editorial in the Red Journal that is entitled, just as I mentioned, uh, to screen or not to screen adults 45 to 49 years of age. That is the question. And indeed, that is the question right now. As we all know, there are new guidelines that we can talk about today suggesting that we should start screening for colon cancer routinely, not just in African Americans, but really in everybody, at age 45 rather than age 50. And I have to say, as somebody that is turning 47 years old this year, uh, I'm quite curious whether I should get screened or not. I've been thinking about splitting the difference and doing this at age 47 and a half. So what I want to know, and I think what our listeners want to know, is what should we be advising people like me? Uh, what should we be advising people who are, who are turning 45? So um, tell us a little bit about what the new guideline is, and then we'll get into sort of the pros and cons. So, Joe, what do you think? What, 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 should, what should our listeners know about the new guidelines? I think this is a very important question. For society and definitely for practicing gastroenterologists, as we all know, colorectal cancer is fourth most common cancer and the second leading cause of cancer mortality. And what we've found is that the incidence and mortality have steadily declined in those above age 50, and that's largely attributable to an effective screening and prevention program that gastroenterologists have been involved in and strongly advocated over the last 20 to 30 years. What the ACS, or American Cancer Society, looked at, though, is that the incidence of colorectal cancer in those less than 50, often this group is referred to as early-onset colorectal cancer, has increased over the same period of time. Specifically, the data they looked at was that SEER estimates, which is from the National Cancer Institute, between 1973 and 1999 showed that the incidence of colon cancer had increased by 17% and rectal cancer had increased by 75% in those between 20 and 40 years of age. This led to a guideline where they advocated for the initiation of colorectal cancer screening to start in adults at age 45. So they meaning the American Cancer Society, right, the ACS? Correct, the ACS. That's not followed to this point by any of the other professional societies with outright statements of screening all persons above age 45, i.e. the ACG, the multi-society task force with the AGA, etc., Right. So the first thing you'd think, at least maybe it's cynical, but you'd think, wow, you know, these GI societies who are doing the colonoscopies, people like us who do these colonoscopies, to get reimbursed for them, wouldn't we be incentivized, if anybody, to move the screening age down to 45? But yet the ACG, the AGA, um, the major GI societies have not followed this ACS guideline to move the screening age down to 45. Why is that? I think it's a complex and nuanced question is there are definitely reasons that screening could be advocated at this younger age group, but there are also numerous drawbacks that we can go through. You know, I think one of the important things of why this age range of starting screening at 45 could make sense is that if you look at all of the cases of early onset colorectal cancer, which account for about 10% of all CRCs or early onset, well, about Three-quarters, or 75% of all, all of those early-onset CRCs, occur between 40 and 49 years of age. So by starting at 45, you'd actually catch 
a large proportion of the early onset CRC. So there's no point really starting at 30 or 25 at uh, some even earlier age than that. The other thing is the age-specific incidence rate. So when you look at the group that we screen routinely now between people 50 to 54 years of age, which is where screening is advocated to start, the incidence rates for colorectal cancer are 60 per 100,000, and it's about half that, 31 per 100,000, between 45 and 49 years of age. And it's a question of how you look at these numbers and you say, is it worth it for society to do this? And we can go through those points in the rest of the podcast versus, is it worth it for that individual? You know, and it, do you take a societal viewpoint or do you take an individual viewpoint? From the individual point of view, it's almost always going to be beneficial for that one person who gets colorectal cancer diagnosed, right? To have it diagnosed earlier or to potentially prevent it altogether. I think it's also important to take note of, I I know you mentioned the gastroenterologists and gastroenterology societies and what they're advocating. I would say that this guideline and any guideline that comes out about screening in this age group is more nuanced than saying colorectal cancer screening in general, not colonoscopy specifically. And so patients should be offered all of the options of stool-based testing, dual DNA testing, colonoscopy, and even virtual CT potentially as options. It's important on this point just to emphasize that we're really talking about average risk patients right now, right? Absolutely. So there are already very, very clear guidelines that people seem to be at elevated risk. So most importantly, those with a family history of colorectal cancer in a first or multiple second degree relatives, people with a known hereditary cancer syndrome, such as Lynch syndrome, people with inflammatory bowel diseases, and people that are of African-American ethnicity are all deemed to be at elevated risk compared to the average population and should initiate screening at much younger ages. For African-Americans, we usually suggest 40 to 45, people with a family history 40 or 10 years before the earliest cancer in the family, and people with Lynch syndrome in their 20s. So this is important because, you know, many of our listeners are, are not doctors even. They're, they're just very interested in these topics, and this topic in particular. So this discussion is not relating to any of those individuals, those, those folks who are at above average risk. That is not the subject of this discussion. We're talking about people who are at average risk, who don't have a strong family history, don't have a family history, and, you know, are deciding whether and when to get screened for colon cancer. So, you know, we've all seen these patients. It's tragic. Uh, I have just recently been on hospital duty for the last couple of weeks and have seen some patients with colon cancer who are young. And, you know, it's absolutely tragic to see people who have metastatic colon cancer, who are in the prime of their lives, who have young children at home, and who are, whatever, 45, 47. And we think, oh, my God, if we had applied these guidelines we might have prevented the cancer or might have found it at a stage where it was much more treatable than stage four metastatic disease. So, you know, that tugs at the heartstrings for any of us who are taking care of patients in everyday clinical practice. And, you know, we think, to heck with the societal view, this individual would have been better off if we had started screening at age 45. So, you know, you've brought up this issue of the perspective. Is this a societal perspective or is this a, you know, utilitarian societal perspective where we're trying to do the most good for the most people with the resources that we have, which is how really socialized healthcare systems work, and that's the basis of health economics. But on the other hand, the American healthcare system is complex, and 
we don't always make decisions that necessarily benefit society. We make decisions that benefit the individual who's sitting across from me in the exam room. So I want to explore that a little bit more before we get into the nitty-gritty, because it's easy to lose the forest for the trees here when we start getting into the modeling data and all the little details. Like, how do you handle that as someone that does colorectal cancer screening and lectures about this? Which perspective should we take and why? That is a wonderful question. I think you're absolutely right. Healthcare in the United States is very nuanced in the sense there are societal aspects that have to be taken into account when you look at Medicare, Medicaid, other types of programs of that nature, as well as individual aspects of you seeing the patient right in front of you. One of the things, to your point about your time on the hospital service, it turns out people with early onset colorectal cancer, those diagnosed below age 50, the majority actually present with late-stage disease. 60% present with stage 4 disease as compared to 40% of people above the age of 50. And also, the majority of these are not really linked to hereditary syndromes. Only about 10 or 15% are due to inherited cancer syndromes, and most are left-sided, which actually also does not fit with a hereditary cancer syndrome. Even more unfortunate, I think, is, to your point, when you're diagnosed young with colorectal cancer, between 40 and 50, you might think, well, these people are going to do better because we're going to give them aggressive chemotherapy and radiation therapy. The data actually doesn't bear that out. People diagnosed with early colorectal cancer, even with more aggressive chemotherapy, don't fare much better than people diagnosed above age 50. So it's, whether it's due to the stage of disease, but even correcting for that, or it's due to the biology of the cancer that they have, they don't actually do better with the chemotherapy regimens that we have available currently. So I think that adds to that pull of our heartstrings of someone being diagnosed younger. Majority of these younger onset cases are stage four or metastatic disease, and they tend not to do any better with, even with the aggressive treatment options presented to them. And so that pulls at our heartstrings of this more individualized healthcare and can we provide that to our patients, especially when it's you sitting right across from a patient and they asking you, should I get cancer screening? Is that going to benefit me? What's the risk of it? And you having to go through that nuanced discussion with them, including what are the different types of screening options, including non-invasive stool or stool DNA and colonoscopy. All right, so, you know, a listener at this point in the podcast might wonder, well, why in the world aren't we just screening at age 45 then? I mean, right, what what are the real downsides? And societal use of resources is one. Do we have the person power? Do we have the number of trained endoscopists? And do we have enough people even to do this is sort of one question. So there's sort of the resource question, and I'd like to talk about that. And then I'd like to hear more about, all right, are there other really clear-cut reasons, because as I mentioned earlier, I'm turning 47 this year, so I'm listening to this conversation, as any other listener would, and I'm thinking, all right, well, the heck with society. I want my colonoscopy. I mean, colonoscopies are safe and effective. I've, I've done a whole bunch of them to other people this week. Maybe it's time for me to get mine and, and not wait until age 50. So, so what is the other side of the story that our listeners need to, need to understand? So we can start maybe with, if it's okay with you, the resource argument. And then maybe talk about some other reasons to second-guess these these, uh, these new guidelines. So I think the resource argument can actually be broken into two parts. So one simple part is what's going to be the marked cost of society for adding potentially 10 and maybe up to 20 million people to the list 
of those eligible for colorectal cancer screening. That's a very, very large number of people that will be added to the list that need some form of CRC screening, including colonoscopy. Can we absorb that number? And there are different theories on that. The American Cancer Society says that approximately 10 million people would be added to the list and that we have the endoscopic and cancer screening resources to absorb that. However, even if we somehow absorb that, will that lead to diversion of resources from other high-risk groups that are underscreened? For example, African-Americans, new immigrants, or those with limited insurance may be left out of the screening groups now that there is a younger population, many of whom will have commercial insurance and possibly more be more attractive to hospitals and to physicians who are providing this cancer screening. So this may actually lead to an exacerbation of the disparities that already occur in screening. So you'll screen a new set of people, these younger than 50 years of age who have good insurance, and leave other groups that should get screening, African-Americans, immigrants, or limited insurance types out in the cold. Just play devil advocate on this for a second, and I definitely understand that argument, and it's really a social justice argument to some degree. But if we just needed to do this once, yes, it's a big once to screen 10 million incremental people, it's once we do it, um, we're done, right? We've now moved the goalposts uh, back, I guess, to age 45. We've captured those individuals. And now we are starting just like before, except we're rather than starting at age 50, we're starting at age 45. And, yeah, maybe there's going to be some additional surveillance colonoscopies, but most people are going to have a negative colonoscopy. So their next procedure isn't due for another 10 years. So maybe on average we're going to do a little bit more endoscopy overall. But once we've done it once and we moved the goalposts, we did all that hard work, now we can kind of re-equilibrate and kind of find a new homeostasis and redistribute those resources the way we need to to ensure that there's access to care and social justice and all those issues you've talked about. So isn't one argument that, yeah, this isn't going to be easy, but if we all work together and push for a couple of years, we can do this? And if we're very careful about monitoring our resource utilization and spread it out evenly and thoughtfully, that we won't expand social injustice along the way. But once we've gotten there, you know, we've, we've done it. Uh, and then we go back to business as usual. So what's wrong with that argument? I think that's theoretically possible in the perfect world that we wouldn't create increasing social injustice by adding this 10 million or 20 million persons to the initial screening list. There will be some number of persons who have a false positive on a, a non-invasive test that will be added mm -hmm. into colonoscopy, right, for the people who choose a non-invasive screening method up front. So we'll have right. to absorb that. The second thing is, I don't think we have a great estimate of what percentage of people will have adenomas detected, including even small diminutive adenomas that result in them coming back within five years. So there may be some incremental continued increase in the use of endoscopic resources for more than just a one-time, you know, try and get everybody mm -hmm. done, and then very few people will need another one for 10 years. That probably would require additional modeling to understand what, what's going to be the adenoma detection rate and if people are being brought back five years or three years later, and we already know that gastroenterologists typically and even general surgeons bring back people earlier often than what the guideline officially states. So right. that will lead to an increase in the amount of endoscopic resources. But that problem exists time. anyway, right, uh, that people don't follow existing guidelines. like this. Absolutely. So that, that's already true. So it will add to the volume. 
I, I don't think it'll just be a one-time thing. This will last over several years if we go down this pathway. Can we do it? Absolutely. I think we could muster up the resources, including all of the non-invasive screening options, and provide it. We would have to have a safety net to make sure that certain high-risk groups that are underscreened don't get further disadvantaged by such policy change. Okay. So that's a broad, useful discussion about resources and some of the concerns. Setting aside the resource argument, what other sort of epidemiologic or scientific, we'll call it for now, data are there that we, we shouldn't be starting so soon? What other arguments do you discuss in this paper that our, our listeners should know about? Great. I think the other two are, as you said, epidemiological or more scientific arguments against this earlier screening. So the first would be, though it seems like a large percent relative increase in the incidence of early onset colorectal cancer, for example, I said a 17% increase in colon cancer and nearly a 75% increase in rectal cancer over a nearly 25, 27-year period from SEER data, the absolute incidence of colorectal cancer in this population is still low. So, you know, the incidence of colorectal cancer in those between 50 and 54 is 60 cases per 100,000 persons. In those 45 to 49, it's 30 per 100,000. So it's half or less than half of the incidence rate. So could it be argued that those are both absolutely very low? I mean, they're both Those are, are both absolutely right. very low. So where do you make the cut? And if you drop from 60 per 100,000 now down to 30 per 100,000, is it worth doing extensive screening to capture that small number? Again, that comes back to the point of societal versus individual benefit. And then I think the other scientific aspect is how the models were constructed. So initially, the reason the ACS did not advise for screening in this age group is that they based their data on three different models. So I should step back and say there's no randomized control trials that can inform our decision-making in this population or even in colorectal cancer screening with colonoscopy in the larger population. And therefore, they use three different population models. One is called SimCRC, one's called MISCAN, and one's called CRC-SPIN. When they initially ran the analysis several years ago, two of these models, all of them except MISCAN, showed there was a benefit to starting screening at age 45, but they didn't endorse it at that time because there wasn't unanimous results from all three models. However, when they updated the models with the newer SEER data looking at these increasing incidences of colorectal cancer, all three models now unanimously showed that screening at 45 as opposed to 50 was associated with a higher benefit or specifically what they refer to as an efficiency ratio, which is a measure of the burden to benefit of screening colonoscopy in this population. One problem with the science behind these models is that they use an arbitrary reference population, which has a very, very low risk of colorectal cancer and occurred much before colonoscopy and colon cancer screening was initiated. So some people would say, well, this model is using a reference group that has a very low rate of colorectal so cancer. So it's a straw man yeah. comparison is what you're yeah. saying. The other thing is the models do assume that the adherence to screening in this population would be 100%. We all know that's not true, that even in the very best, it's around 60% of people seem to adhere to the colorectal cancer screening guidelines. We're all pushing to get to 80% in the next few years, but in realistic day-to-day world, it hovers more around 60%. So doesn't so that argument actually undermine the resource argument? In other words, 
okay, you know, so when it's when it's convenient and we want to, you know, undermine these ACS guidelines, we say that we're going to have to screen 10 million extra people. But on the other hand, we know that not everyone's going to want to do that. Not everyone's going to do that. We're going to be just the people that want to get screened and are convinced of it are going to be the ones. So is it really as big a resource issue as we think it's going to be? Because you just said that, well, most people, well, not most, many people aren't going to get screened, and yet we relied on these models that assumed everyone was going to get screened. So there's some kind of circularity in my mind, trying to disentangle it here in real time, uh, between these competing arguments. Does that, does that make sense? Absolutely. I think there are competing arguments here, and it's hard to know where adherence would fall in this population. It's also hard to know, I think, in this population of 45 to 49-year-olds, will you just get a healthy person effect? Will it be people who are more likely to be healthy getting screened versus, again, people who have either unhealthy behaviors or other risk factors that fail to get screened. So you may also push towards doing a lot of negative screening in this population. It's hard to know without a true clinical study. And I think that is one of the arguments also against instituting such an ad hoc guideline to start at 45 is, should we have the opportunity now to do a clinical study, either observational or a clinical trial in this population of 45 to 49-year-old all-comers and see what happens? see what adherence would be, see what the findings would be. And by applying the guideline, we lose that opportunity to do a well-controlled study that can inform us to make the right decision a few years from now. So I guess that would be my last reason on the why we shouldn't do it is by doing it ad hoc, we lose the opportunity to truly study it in a controlled setting. So, of course, that makes beautiful scientific sense, but then I'll bring it back to me. So I'm 47, right, or about to be. So why do I need to wait for some study to be done? Right? I mean, uh, I don't want to wait. What if I've got an advanced adenoma right now, God forbid, or even something worse, and you're telling me i got to wait until we do some, you know, additional research, and yet, you know, we, we have pretty hard facts, cold hard facts, that there is an increasing mortality in these younger individuals, and we haven't really talked about why that is yet, but that seems to be the case, and it's 30 per 100,000 versus 60 per 100,000. Okay, that's 50% less, but absolute difference of 30 so I'm sitting there thinking, all right, we could do some more research or I can go get my colonoscopy. Talk me out of getting a colonoscopy next year. I think that's a very individual discussion between the physician and the patient. And you're absolutely right. I can show you all of the numbers that we've gone through and still be at the point of you as an individual feel that colorectal cancer screening would ease your anxiety or, or reduce your overall risk of developing colorectal cancer over your lifetime. And it would still be worthwhile to pursue it if possible. If for no other reasons than at the individual level, it makes sense for you and you and your physician have gone through it. I actually think there are many pros to starting the screening as well, that the models do support screening at this age, especially now that updated data is used. Number two, even by starting screening at 45 to 49, it'll actually decrease the CRC burden that we note in people 50 to 54 years of age, right? By starting screening right. earlier, we'll have less colorectal cancers in that slightly older age group. And as a society and societal guidelines, we've already endorsed earlier screening in certain groups, such as African Americans and those with family history in a close relative. Thus, this isn't that far a jump when we've already been screening certain groups at younger ages, right in this 40 to 45-year-old on that point, so what is, I uh, don't know if you know off the top of your head, but what, what is the incidence of colorectal cancer in African Americans who are aged 45? How does that compare to the 60 per 100,000 that we see at age 50 plus? Is it on par? Or do, do you know what those numbers are? It's about twofold increase. 
1.5 to two-fold increase. I don't have the absolute incidence rates, but if we assume it's 60 per 100,000, 50 to 54-year-olds, and it's about one and a half-fold elevated, it would probably be 90 per 100,000 would be kind of a back. At age 45. Yeah. At 45, it would probably be 45 per 100,000 instead of 30. So I guess that's my point is, uh, if back of the envelope, right, you know, we'd have to kind of hold this up against uh, epidemiologic nationwide data, but let's just assume that it's a roughly 45 per 100,000 in 45-year-old African Americans, and we have, as a society and as a GI society, uh, ACG, agreed unanimously, as far as I can tell, that we should be screening African Americans starting at age 45. There doesn't seem any, any debate about that. So I guess what we're talking about is if we drop from 45 to roughly 30 per 100,000, that's a step too far, according to the ACG and other NFGI societies. Exactly. So, I think it's where do you draw this line? And I don't think anyone has the magic marker to say where's the line drawn. I think if society deemed 30 per 100,000 worth it or 35 per 100,000, we could definitely do it. We could screen even lower than that. And as mm-hmm. long as we were willing to expend the effort to catch that small number of colorectal cancers, which at the individual patient level makes absolute sense. The way I look at this, and I teach health economics, so I'm very cognizant of the issue of cost per quality adjusted life here and resource utilization, and also this artificial idea that we need to draw a line, right? Because we are, we need, we kind of need to, or we don't know if guidelines do for us, they kind of mandate that we draw some line, but it will inevitably be semi-artificial. There will be, you know, false positives, false negatives, there'll be true positives, true negatives. We're going to miss things, we're going to catch things we didn't need to catch. This is the reality of any screening test in all of medicine. But, you know, at the same time, I think about how cost-effective it is in general to screen for colon cancer. And I think about all the other things we do in medicine that are not cost-effective. There's a huge, long, long list of things that choosing the Choosing Wisely initiative has identified of things not just in GI but across all of medicine that we do that uh, are neither effective nor cheap, things that are expensive and ineffective that we do all the time. To me, why don't we get rid of those things and then just slide down the screening age for something that's highly cost-effective and improves quality of life, improves people's lives, and just start at age 45 and be done with it. So, again, I'm not saying that's the right answer, but, but that's, you know, one argument. And I'm not really hearing that argument being made right now. I'm really seeing and hearing a lot of resistance to this 45. And as I sit here thinking about it, I don't know. I don't know what I should do at age 47 at this point in my life. Absolutely. I hear you loud and clear, Brennan. And actually, even though I've talked a fair amount about the cons and some about the pros, my own personal viewpoint is if I had a patient sitting in front of me or I had my brother sitting in front of me and he was approaching this age, I would say to him that it would make sense to have some form of colorectal cancer screening Mm -hmm. at age 45 to 49 because of all the pros of the effectiveness of such a screening test, the rising incidence of colorectal cancer in this population, and knowing some of the aspects of colorectal cancer in this younger age group that does not portend good news, right? It often presents with metastatic or late-stage disease, doesn't seem to respond to treatments as well, etc. So I actually would be in the same boat as you looking at it from the individualist model that even with the theoretical aspects of the science, looking at the population or societal costs and the inability to truly studying it in a controlled trial if we go with the ad hoc, I would probably recommend to my brother or family member to consider it. And so that is my bias as well that you're bringing out of me. And that's because, I'm guessing, you're an empathic healer because you went to medical school to improve the lives of 
individuals. And we also recognize that there are societal issues that are at play here. It's not an either or. Uh, but of course, I'm sure you can imagine a listener who maybe is a patient or somebody like me who is a doctor who is now becoming, in essence, a screening patient, listening to this and thinking, okay, so, you know, the, the sort of world expert, one of the world experts is telling me that if it's his brother, probably ought to go get screened, even if it's not a colonoscopy, which, you know, we spend a lot of time talking about colonoscopy today, but of course, there's many other forms, as you've said, that the USPSTF supports. And, you know, think about it. Go get screened. I don't think we're going to use this to bully somebody into getting screened who doesn't want to get screened. That's totally separate issue, but somebody who is fully prepared and interested in getting screened, getting a warranty on their colon, in this case, go ahead and get a page 45, because I haven't heard one thing today that says, thou shalt not do that. Now, I'm, I may be uh, being judge and jury here as both the podcaster and as a patient and as just trying to be a curious kind of individual in this, in this debate, but I leave this discussion a little unclear about why we're not hearing a more fierce pushback among our colleagues, and maybe I need to be talked out of it, because I'm not hearing our own colleagues saying much at all about moving this down to 45. So that's kind of my flight of ideas at the end of this podcast. <laughs> but uh, how do we wrap this thing up with a tidy bow? Jill, help us out. Help me out. I think the tidy bow doesn't exist at this point. I think you're right. absolutely right that the ACS has made this comment. Most of the other professional societies have remained somewhat silent on this issue, right? They've made statements of it, but not clear cut statements, nor have they gone back and reanalyzed all of their own data around it. Ultimately, it will be a decision between the physician and the patient. It needs to be that the patient understands that there are some risks to colonoscopy or colorectal cancer screening, including false positives and other adverse effects that can occur. There are limitations of colon cancer screening in terms of even a false negative uh, test, even with colonoscopy. Ultimately, though, so if I was to jump forward and had a crystal ball of saying, what should we do? Where should we be five years from now? Mm -hmm. My advocacy or recommendation would be that we stop using age alone as the criteria for when to determine screening and that we strategize and create a model that takes into account gender, family history, obesity, smoking, diet, medications, and use that to stratify people more accurately in terms of their lifetime colorectal cancer risk and then devise their screening in a more individualized manner in terms of what type of screening they should get, whether it's FIT, stool DNA, colonoscopy, what age to start at, and even what interval. Such models already exist in the breast cancer world with the GRAIL indices for and the IPAS indices, which look at lifetime risk of breast cancer, and using those lifetime risks can identify what age you should start screening at, and even what modality of screening, whether it's breast MRI or breast mammograms. And I think we need to bring that to the GI colonoscopy colorectal cancer screening field. It's a more nuanced view of colorectal cancer lifetime risk and the best strategy based on factors other than age alone. And so well, you make a great that's point. where we're going to move to. Right. And it's a great point because in a way this whole discussion debate is sort of an artificial one that we've – created by elevating age to its sort of primacy as the single most important factor to consider, uh, at least among average risk individuals or traditionally average risk individuals, for screening. And, and what you're saying is, well, this is a multivariable problem. It's not, you know, age is very important. As we get older, we things happen to our bodies, but there are other factors that we can measure right now. And really, to me, the challenge there will be implementation and how do we actually 
do that, you know, now that we have all electronic health records, maybe we can be running an, you know, a logistic regression model and that will tell us right there on the screen uh, this person's risk and what they should get screened with and when. And that is a future I think we should be moving towards. And hopefully we look back five years from now or ten years from now and this discussion is kind of quaint and, and interesting, maybe an interesting uh, milestone along the way to a much more nuanced and sophisticated future of colon cancer screening. So with that, I think we'll end it there. And I want to thank you again, Jewel, for what I really thought was a great and enjoyable discussion, and I hope our listeners have learned something along the way. So thank you again for being with us on the podcast. Thank you, Brandon. Thank you to the AGG as well.